I hope you've been enjoying the book of Acts. We've been doing two months worth of Acts and going through, and there's a lot that we've been reading, and hopefully you've been reading it week by week, and every week we've been doing three chapters, and then whoever's you know, responsible for teaching on the stage that, that week is meant to be talking about the next chapters that we're reading, and it really is an exciting way to actually go through a journey collectively and corporately, just to kind of really start to understand a scripture. Now, uh, maybe uh, you already know this, but I'm going to repeat some of this, that uh, the, the book of Acts was actually written by a guy called Dr. Luke, and many people think that he was was a disciple, because, or he was one of the original 12 disciples because he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, but actually he wasn't that. He was just a doctor who was a very intelligent man who was, who was tasked with actually writing uh, the story of what, uh, stories that people would tell about what they experienced with Jesus and with Paul. Now, why was he told to do that? He was actually commissioned by a guy called Theophilus that could have been a benefactor or he could have actually been a lawyer. So why would a lawyer want all this stuff to be written about? It's simply because of this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, the letters New Testament, he was considered a revolutionary by the Roman Empire because he was turning the Roman Empire upside down on its head. He went into, the, uh, into all the world, as Jesus had commanded, to preach the good news, and he saw people's lives change. Now, the problem was he didn't just see people's lives change, but he also stirred up a lot of opposition in, in, in the Roman Empire. And so they were very concerned about this, so they took him, imprisoned him, drug him all the way to, to, to the capital of Rome. And of course, if you weren't a Roman citizen, you could just be arbitrarily executed. But because he was also a Roman uh, citizen, he was allowed to have the due process of a court case. And so this man, Theophilus, who's probably his lawyer, commissioned these, these books of the book of, uh, the, of, sorry, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. And that's why we have all this information today. So if you're ever wondering when you're reading it, going, why does it keep jumping from story to story to story to story? Because this guy is trying to amass amount of evidence that Paul wasn't trying to usurp the Roman Empire. He wasn't trying to, to, to disturb anyone or hurt anyone. He was just trying to spread the news of what Jesus Christ was and what he had done. And that's why we're reading through this great book called the book of Acts. So today we're going to be looking at chapters 13 to 15. And today I want to look at the different oppositions that Paul and Barnabas actually experienced. Because when they were in chapter 13, if you, if you kind of know some of the background, you can see right at the beginning, it says that they went to this little town called Antioch, him and his friends, and they all went there, and they, they decided to make that their home church. And the home church said to him, Paul, we think that God has called you for something greater. We want you to get out there and start telling people. We want you to travel and start telling people about Jesus Christ. So he went out there with Barnabas and with Barnabas's nephew called John Mark. John Mark was the one who actually wrote the book of Mark, which were the teachings of the apostle Peter. Lots of information coming at you all at once, but just giving you a big picture here. So they were sent out. And so they said, sure, let's do it. Let's go out and go to every place we can find. So in the Middle East, they went from one city to the next. So they went from Antioch to Seleucia, to Cyprus, to Salamis, to Paphos, to Perga, to Pisidian Antioch, to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derbe. And then they decided to do the whole thing backwards. Now, this must have taken them quite a while, maybe a whole year to do this, maybe two years to do this. And then they even decided after that, let's go do it all again 
right? There were like the world's greatest hits tours, like Elton John going on the road, doing his greatest hits tours, right? So this is them going from city to city to city. But when you read in, the, in chapters 13, 14, and 15, you will see one story after another where he encounters opposition all the time. He constantly had opposition from people. Now, he had many converts, but he had lots of opposition. So I want to do a thing. I want to look at all the oppositions, what type of opposition it was, and what his response was to each opposition. Because the fact is, you in your life will experience many oppositions in your life too, but we need to learn the wisdom of when we should push back and when we should just step back when we should do something about it and when we shouldn't do something about it, when to be wise and when to be wise every time. So there are seven, seven different oppositions that Paul and Barnabas experienced. So I'm gonna go through these one by one as quick as we can. The first one was this. It was evil actors, what I call evil actors in Acts chapter 13, six to 12. It says this. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, you're going to find that when we're reading about this guy, Paul, you'll notice his name is actually called Saul. He's about to change his name to Paul in honor of this guy, Sergius Paulus, who was actually a, a follower of Jesus Christ too. And so it continues on. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, which is the, the same name for the other sorcerer, Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now this is someone here that had a spiritual gift who felt threatened by Paul and by Barnabas. This is a false prophet, as it just said. A false prophet is someone who looks like they can do things, but they're not necessarily able to do these things. They're able to try and predict the future, but they can't. They're making it up. This is what we would call a manipulator. They're dangerous because they have manipulating skills and ability. Okay, what was the type of opposition they were experiencing? The type of opposition was confusion. Why would we say confusion? Because when you hear the word false, it means someone is using information to try and convince us to believe something that is not true. It says the sorcerer tried to turn the proconsul against what Paul and Barnabas were actually saying. And so he was using the abilities of confusion to try and get you to believe something. A little bit like car salesman, right? No, no, it's okay. My brother-in-law is a car salesman, right? So, so it's amazing how there can be people in businesses that try to confuse you into getting you to do what they want you to do. And then you walk away and go, how did I get convinced to do or to buy this thing, right? But this is how, this is the exact same opposition that Jesus went through when he was in the desert. It says that the, 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 the devil came into the desert to confuse Jesus about the word of God. And so he would take the word of God, he would manipulate it, and then he would go, isn't this true? And then, but Jesus knew the word of God because he was the word of God, so he couldn't be fooled by this. This is an opposition you'll experience in life sometimes. So what did Paul do in order to deal with this? What he did was he cursed the man's gift. If you read on in the story, he basically says, may your sight disappear, and the guy went blind. Now, that's kind of weird, right? Because you think that only, miracles are only about trying to make blind people see. Well, actually, this miracle was where a seeing man went blind. He cursed the man's gift because the man needed his eyes to look at the stars so that he could make predictions about the future in order to influence this very powerful and rich man. And Paul said, you have a spirit of confusion. May that confusion come upon you. And he went blind. 
What we need to learn from this is if you have this opposition in your life where someone is bringing confusion into your life, don't try and argue against them because they'll still just have their gift of confusion and they'll try to overcome you. Curse their gift. Speak against their gift and say, may that spirit of confusion make you confused so much that you actually have to bow your knee to Jesus Christ too. If someone's bringing confusion against you, don't try and argue against them. Pray for that situation and go, God, bind the spirit of confusion that may be working through that person and trying to undermine what I'm doing. The second opposition that he experienced was actually from one of his disciples in Acts 13, 13. It says, from Paphos, which was an area or a city, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now that doesn't seem like there's very much there. Surely we, how do we take this as an opposition? Well, what happened there was Paul felt very abandoned by John Mark. Paul was actually very sick at that time. And John Mark was his helper. That means someone who had made a commitment of wherever you go, I'm going to go and I'm going to be your right hand man and I'm going to look after you. It got to this place where Paul was sick and John Mark went, you know what? I don't think I can handle this anymore. And so John Mark didn't stay by the side of Paul. And so Paul felt very abandoned. That was the opposition that he felt. He felt like someone who he should have relied on abandoned him. And many of you have probably experienced that before, you know, maybe from a spouse, from a family member, even from a pastor, from a friend. You felt abandoned by someone who should have lived up to a commitment. It's when a trusted person chooses their own desires above the agreed mission that they had committed to. Now, this is tough because if you've ever run a business or you've ever been a church leader or, or led a group or something like that, you know the unappreciated effort that you have to expend in order to make this thing that you're building become better. It's a bit like someone I've met before who was a businessman and he had, a, he had a, you know, this young guy he was training up in business and he taught him everything he knew, all his secrets, all his tricks, all his abilities in order to make wealth and make this business big. And the guy, once he learned it all, he said, you know, I think I'm just going to go off and work for someone else. I think I'll just go off, maybe start my own business. And he was so gutted because he gave so much of his knowledge and so much of his heart to this person. This is why Paul felt abandoned. When you really want to train up someone that you think is going to be a part of your mission and you just feel abandoned, it's discouraging. So how did Paul respond? Well, he didn't do anything much because he couldn't. All he did was lose trust. He lost trust in John Mark. Later on, John Mark came back and said, hey, can I work for you again? And Paul went, nope. He just lost too much trust. Is that the right response or the wrong response? I don't know. We're just seeing what his response was. Okay, number three. The third opposition that he came across was with competitive people. Anyone ever experienced that before? Competitive people, and you're like, you're just too intense, bro. Acts chapter 13, verses 45, 44 and 45, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord that was being preached by Paul and Barnabas. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Tense jealousy. They couldn't stand what Paul and Barnabas were doing. So they began to contradict. That means to oppose. They, decided, they, just, they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Now, what is this all about? This is basically probably the Jews, that group of people who wanted to build their own thing. 
They wanted to get their own following. They wanted people to come to their party, right? To their thing. But then Paul and Barnabas walk into town. They're like, well, we have a different perspective on the word of God. And everyone goes, yay, this is amazing. I kind of sympathize with them, right? It's that feeling of you've worked hard to try and build up your congregation, your small group, your business or something. And someone else comes into town who's younger and faster and good looking. And and they decide, I'm going to start something. And they're like, oh, exploded on one weekend. You're like, oh, yay for you. Well, it's just wonderful. You're growing the kingdom of God. And you feel discouraged because you're seeing someone else do so well, but you're not doing so well yourself. I get that. It's a little bit like for the last seven years, I've been trying to build us a new building. And then some church down the road goes, just finished our building. You're like, yay, I feel joy for you. No, you don't. You start feeling this thing. You feel jealousy. And if it turns out it's all about you, then you become a jealous mocker. You have to tear down what they're doing. You have to mock them. You go, ah, but they're not doing it right or they're doing it that way. That's not the right way to do it. And so this thing rises up inside of you and you become a mocker. This is something that that Paul and Barnabas were experiencing here. And this type of opposition can sometimes, it kind of sucks a little bit, especially when you're watching uh, like two politicians, and they can't just disagree on, an, on a topic. They have to start mocking the other person. And I just don't think that is the Christian way. I don't think that's the godly way. So what did Paul do to deal with this? He basically spoke boldly. No, why did he speak boldly? Here we are. He says that he, sp- he spoke out against them. He says uh, in Acts chapter 13, verse 46 and 47, it says, then Paul and Barnabas answered them Boldly, that's a really important word there. They didn't just go, well, this is just their opinion. I don't know. No, they stood up and said, let us boldly refute what you're saying. We had to speak the word of God to you first. He said, we gave the word of God to you first, but you rejected it. Since you reject it and you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. Their boldness wasn't about their opinion. Their boldness was about we have to do what God has told us to do. Oftentimes what happens is people get bold, but they start just boldly speaking what their opinion is, not what God has necessarily told them to do. Why is that important? Because you're basically saying this, I'm not doing this because I think I should do this. I'm doing this because God's told me to do it. Because if, so if you want to argue with someone, you should go to argue with God. Because I can only go down the path of what God has told me to do. Now, I get this, that some people don't like disagreements. They don't. Hands up who doesn't like disagreements, doesn't like tensions, doesn't like, you know, I don't want to go through this. I get that. There's many personalities that don't like it. And oftentimes it's because it not only makes you nervous, but it makes you feel like you're losing relationship with people. But we as Christians must learn how to disagree without the fear of thinking we're being rejected, without the fear of thinking, well, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not wrong. Fine, let's look into wisdom, but we should be able to boldly say, I don't think that's the right thing. That's a way of dealing with compassion Competitive people in your life just say, I'm sorry, I don't, disagree. I don't agree with it. Uh, this is what I think. And I'm doing this thing because I think God's told me to. Okay, number four. The fourth opposition they experienced. We're halfway through. The powerfully connected. In Acts 13, 50 to 52, it says, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing woman of high standing. It wasn't just uh, pagans or peasants. This is like God-fearing people and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So what was happening here? 
Basically, influential people were persuaded to use their powers and their positions against Paul and Barnabas. This is businessmen, socialites, politicians, influencers. Now, the type of opposition that they experienced is to be expelled. They were basically had social exclusion. This would be considered what we call, uh, where they call it cancel culture today. Right? You've heard of cancel culture today. It basically says, I don't think this person is right and I'm going to convince everybody else to exclude them and to be against them and don't talk to them. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think it's okay to disagree with people, but it's not okay to start bullying or intimidating people against speaking to someone else, even products. If you don't want to buy from Target, Walmart, Nike, Adidas, whatever it is, that's fine. Follow your conviction and tell other people what your conviction is, but to start shaming someone else for actually buying the things that you're against I don't think that's the Christian thing. And what happened was the Jews decided to go get powerful people and get them to turn against what Paul and and Barnabas were doing. And imagine today those powerful people have to stand before God and realize that Jesus had sent Paul and Barnabas and they had opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we have to do things in humility. So what did Paul do? Well, he did a Taylor Swift thing. He shook it off, (laughs) right? He shook, shook, shook it off. And it was way before Taylor Swift came along. In Acts 13, 51 and 52, it says, So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with, what does that word say? Joy. This is one of the things that you'll discover is when you're going through opposition, it's one of the biggest things you start to lose is joy. You cannot afford to lose your joy. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you go into depression and you go into a sulky mood and you're getting all hurt and stuff because someone's opposed you, you need to mature in your faith and go, no, my joy doesn't come from what other people think about me. My joy comes that the fact is my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'm just trying to do what God has told me to do. It's okay that people oppose you. The fifth one, number five, is from crowds. Acts chapter 14, 11 to 20. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. All right, what is going on here? What did they just do? They walked into this town and, uh, and, and, and like, like, like somewhere in this town and they saw this guy, they were preaching the gospel, they saw this guy who was lame from birth and they're like, do you wanna be healed? Stand up, may you be healed in the name of Jesus. And the guy stood up and the crowds went wild like, wow, these men are healers. But folklore tells us that in those days, the people believed that two gods came down to earth called Zeus and Hermes. Now watch this. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Anyone ever been named Zeus before? We got some cool names here, but Zeus, so they got called Zeus and Hermes. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Sounds like a good thing, right? But what happened was, folklore tells us that they believed that Zeus and Hermes had come to earth before in human form, and they didn't realize it, and they're like, we missed the boat. Oh, guys, we have to agree that if this ever happens again, and if Zeus and Hermes Hermes come in, in, in human form again. We need to make sure that we sacrifice and we welcome them so that they don't turn against us. So the people went wild and like, they must be the gods. 
Hmm. Soon after, verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. This is a dangerous thing. A dangerous thing here. Why? Because people can be fickle. One day they can love you. The next day they want to assassinate you. The type of opposition he was experiencing here were extreme emotions. This type of opposition is when a person or a group of people can flip their position on you. One day they're admiring you, thinking you're wonderful. They're treating you like a king. And then the next day they're kicking you like a stray dog. You can't rely on emotional swings. You don't know what you're gonna get from that person. It's exhausting sometimes to be around a person who swings in their emotions. Now, let me make this clear. I'm not talking about someone who has a chemical imbalance where one day they're feeling down and then the next day they're feeling up. I'm talking about people who are affected by external things controlling their emotions. As mature Christians, we can't be controlled by external things in our lives. We have to know that God is in control of our lives. What did Paul do? He actually responded in humility. Maybe you think that's a good idea. Maybe you think that's a bad idea. He tried to give them a reality check by saying, listen, I'm just human like you are. And then someone came along and said, yes, he is human. In fact, he's a really bad human. And then they tried to kill him. I wonder if it was a smart idea to hang around. I personally, I think he should have just left town sooner, right? Because they tried to kill him by stoning him. When I was at Bible college years ago, there was actually a, a girl in our, in, our, in our Bible college and she came up to me. She said, I really feel like God is telling me we should get married. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll just back away from that. And, and I said, uh, yeah, I think we'll need to pray about that one, right? Trying to be all humble and all that type of thing. And, and she's like, well, take the weekend to pray about it. And on Monday, let's talk about it. Because I think God has called us to be married for the rest of our life, forever and ever. And I'm like, God. So I, kinda, I didn't really pray about it. And I'm like, God, no, right? <laughs> and so on that, on, that, on that Monday, she came over and she's like, she was very excited. I think this is the first time you're hearing this, Crystal. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> could be needing counseling afterwards, not sure. So, so she, I remember her sitting down, she's like, so what did God say to you? And I said, here's what I believe. I wouldn't touch you with a 10 foot barge pole. That's not humble, right? The truth is, yes, I don't think I want to be taken by this person who can be easily swung by their emotions on. One day they decide we need to get married. But we should treat people with humility. I wasn't a good example of that humility. She burst into tears, was devastated, then told everyone I was the most horrible person in the world. Her emotions swung from one side to the next. I don't believe that we should mistreat people that way, but I unfortunately did that. Okay, number six, number six. Number six is from close friends. We'll talk later, Crystal. From close friends. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, it says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, remember this is his other buddy who's, doing, who's an apostle, who's going out and, and preaching the good news. He said, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Remember, John was the one who was the helper who abandoned them earlier on. He wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now, why would they have such a sharp disagreement? <clears throat> well, 
even though Paul and Barnabas were good friends, they were good friends, but John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. And sometimes you're caught between a rock and a hard place where you might have like my, 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 my good friend, uh, uh, Andy Owens, right? But then I have my brother, Andrew Brunton. They're both called Andrew, right? And I have to choose between them. Well, I don't wanna have to choose between them. I love my brother, but I love my friend, Andy, right? So it's like I've got a choice to make between these two things. And sometimes we can get stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you choose? Do you choose that maybe... You know, the brother that you, that you, who's your family or your nephew who's family who's an absolute pain in the rear, right? Or you don't really get on with them well. Or do you choose the side of your friend who's such a close friend, a close brother? This is a difficult type of opposition to come across. Why? Because it can't do anything but cause rejection. This rejection, is, it, it, it cuts deep, and I get it. I've been through this myself. Rejection, it comes from this disagreement, and it's hard to, to, to not feel rejected when you disagree with those that you love the deepest. So what did Paul do? Well, Paul and, Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Was it the right way? Was it the wrong way? Was it the right thing to do? I don't know. All I'm telling you is the sad result here, but it's a part of life. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm just saying it's a part of life. All right, the last opposition that we're gonna talk about, and we're gonna talk about this very quickly, and then I wanna talk about the process that they enacted to deal with this opposition. The last one was from Christian brothers and sisters in Acts 15, one and two. It says certain people, obviously protecting their identity, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Okay, what was going on here? Quite clear. They disagreed what it was going to take to be a Christian. Thank God you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian, right? <clears throat> so what type of opposition was this? Well, it was a type of control. You have to do it my way. In fact, I think that we actually saw this quite a bit during the lockdowns, during the pandemic, during the racial tensions where people were saying, if you don't do this thing, then you don't love me. If you don't, if you don't stand for this, or if you don't say these words, or if you don't back away from this, this group of people, then you must be anti-vaxxers, or you must be anti-black, or you must be against these people over here. And I'm looking at it going, this is what this type of thing is. In order to be my friend or to be loved by me, you have to do these specific things. That's a form of control. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's okay for you to say, this is what I believe is right. And it's okay for someone else to disagree with you, but to reject one another simply because we disagree with each other is not a good thing. <clears throat> so how did Paul deal with this? They went through this thing that I'm gonna call a resolution process. And there were four things that they did, four steps that they took to try and bring resolution. The first step that they took was this. They debated the issue. In Acts 15.1, it says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, I know there's many of you that don't like to debate things. You don't like to disagree about things. But as Christians, we need to know how to, in a healthy manner, disagree with each other and still respect one another. We need to know how to debate. In fact, I believe we should beware anyone who's not willing to allow their position to be tested or debated. Because I don't have all the truth. You don't have all the truth. All of our ideas, all of our positions, all of our opinions should be debated enough in order to have it tested. 
You see, I believe that talking must be the first step of reconciliation. As soon as a person just shuts down and stops talking, reconciliation is done. You can't work it out if you're not willing to talk it out. You can't work it out if you won't talk it out. Talking it out is the first step that you must take in having reconciliation with someone at least that you love. The second thing that they did was this. They consulted wiser people. In uh, continuing on in Acts, it says, So Paul and Barnabas were pointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. This is an important step to take. Why? Because we can't rely on our own knowledge all the time. We must get counselors and trusted people. In fact, we recommend many people in our church to go find counsel outside of our church. You should go meet with a counselor. Why? Because there's some people who have expertise that I don't have. It's important sometimes that you should have maybe a third party to, to be able to help you to discover, are you on the right path or are you not on the right path? Here's a question for you. Are you being mentored by someone? Do you actually have someone that you can turn to like the apostles and the elders in order to test your position for the sake of reconciliation? The third thing that they did on these four steps, the third thing is they took their time. Now this is important because sometimes I think that we think that all issues should be dealt with right now or the whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket. But the apostles and the elders met to consider not to, hey, let me hear your side, let me hear your side. Well, you're a bunch of rubbish and I think you're right. No, they considered it. They took time to, to go through this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He had a final conclusion after much discussion. Solutions don't have to be found in a day. Changes take time. Patience is a virtue. So if you're having a conflict with someone, it's okay that you don't have it resolved straight away. What's not okay is that you're not pursuing a process of re reconciliation. Probably one of your first steps should be that you should pray about it. Think about it, debate it, find counsel outside of yourself and take your time to try and figure out what your position is so that God can maybe rebuke you and maybe he can change your heart. Maybe he'll get you to love the person more. Maybe he's trying to do something wonderful between you both. The last step that they took was this. They examined the fruit and the scripture. In 15 verse eight, it says, God who knows the heart, this is Peter speaking, showed that he accepted those people by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. They basically said, listen, they say they're saved, they say they're following Jesus, but let's look at the fruit of their life. Are they actually living up to it? Yes, they are. Okay, then fruit is a good measure of whether a person is truly following Christ. And then the second thing he did was examine the scripture. It says in 1515, he said, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And then he goes and actually describes this, this whole passage from the, from the Old Testament that talks about how the, those who are not Jews would actually become into the kingdom of God. Those that were uncircumcised would come into the kingdom of God and all God's people said amen to that, right? <clears throat> the word is there to measure whether our experiences and our opinions are correct and are in alignment with God. Because there are many opinions and experiences that we all have that are now ending up as my truth that is not actually God's truth. Now, I get that you're having your experiences, but your experiences doesn't mean that you're right in your position. 
I'm not always right in my position, even though I've had certain experiences. I must measure the fruit that God is doing in my life, and I must measure the Word of God against my life to discover, actually, my experience needs to be corrected. It needs to change. I need to change my heart. I need to change my mind. So this morning, we've gone through a lot of steps of conflict. And maybe some of you have identified some conflicts that you have been through yourself, maybe from competitive people, from friends, from family, from uh, disciples. You're probably going to experience all these things that we've just put up on the screen. What we do know is no Christian is promised to be without conflict. What makes us so different is the maturity that we apply to the situation in order to find reconciliation right? Because if we don't know how to walk the path of reconciliation, we don't know how to walk after Christ. Why? Because Christ is the embodiment of reconciliation. That's why when he died on the cross, it says he was dying to reconcile us back to the Father. And I'm not saying all relationships are going to be reconciled in this lifetime. Maybe you won't see it in this lifetime, but you should at least be making the effort like Paul and Barnabas did to try and reconcile yourself with those that you do love. Let's end our service this morning with prayer. Father, we want to thank you this morning. You can all stand with me. Father, we we want to thank you this morning that this morning we recognize that as we look at the, the journey and the example of Paul and Barnabas, we can learn something from it, that we can glean from their experiences and maybe apply some of their responses in a better manner in our own lives to whatever conflicts and oppositions we're experiencing. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us deep wisdom to know how to trust you, how to take our time, and how to see you move in the power of reconciliation in our lives. We ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.